the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The following program is sponsored by Church of the Redeemer in Gatorsburg, Maryland. Welcome to Practical Living with Dale O'Shield, Senior Pastor of Church of the Redeemer in Maryland. We pray that through this message, you will learn how to apply God's Word and truth to your life. Stay with us as we discover God's truths that will transform us. The first thing I want to talk about today, and you'll find it on your notes, if you're taking notes, and I would encourage you to do so, is that right worship opens the way for increased wisdom. The fear of the Lord or the worship of God is the beginning of wisdom. To understand this, in just a moment, I'm going to talk to you about one character in the Bible that is a very important person in Scripture. His name is Solomon. But to understand Solomon, I need to take you on a little bit of a a journey in biblical history. I love the history of the Bible. So let me walk you through some of the sequence of people that lead up to Solomon and the importance of his life and what precedes him that makes his story so valuable to us. The story of the Old Testament, just so you'll understand, the Bible is divided into two parts. The Old Testament, 39 books in the Old Testament. The New Testament, 27 books in the New Testament. The Old Testament really is the story of the nation of Israel, God bringing them together, establishing covenant with them, and leading them as a nation to the point that Messiah would be born, the promised Messiah who is Jesus Christ. And then we come into the book of Matthew and the New Testament, and then the story of Jesus and the church begins as it unfolds all the way from Matthew to the book of Revelation. So in the Old Testament, Old Covenant, it's about God's relationship primarily with the nation of Israel, although we pull out principles for our lives. And God established the nation of Israel, starting with a man by the name of Abraham. Most of you know Abraham, and then following him, Isaac and Jacob. And so those were the three that were the beginning points for Israel. And then Israel ended up, or the people of Israel ended up in a place called Egypt, and they were slaves there for 400 years until God raised up a deliverer by the name of, what's his name? Moses and God sent Moses into Egypt and God used Moses to deliver the children of Israel out of Egypt. They crossed the Red Sea miraculously and they're headed toward the promised land, but they never made it into the promised land under the leadership of Moses because the people rebelled. And so for 40 years, for four decades, they wander around in the wilderness, not heading into the promised land that God wanted them to experience, but their disobedience and their disbelief kept them out. After Moses died, the next leader on the scene was a man by the name of Joshua. Exactly. Joshua now leads them into the promised land. He leads them across the Jordan River. They capture the city of Jericho. They do all these incredible things, driving out all the enemies in the land of Canaan. And Joshua leads them to possess the land. And so the 12 tribes of Israel possessed the land of promise that God had for them. And then Joshua died. And when Joshua died, there was no leadership in Israel. And so we enter into a period of time in your Bible that's called the period of the Judges. And in the period of the judges, that's when Israel was kind of up and down with God for some period of time. They would 
worship God and they would fall into idolatry and they would get into trouble and then God would raise up a judge or a deliverer. People like Gideon and people like Samson that God used to help deliver them from oppression at times. Then they would go back into sin again. And the Bible says that during this period of time there was no king, no one ruling in Israel. And so every person did what was right in their own eyes. So it was a time of great chaos in the country and the nation and that part of the world and that nation of God called Israel. Coming out of the period of judges, of the judges, God raised up a priest and a prophet by the name of Samuel. Samuel means ask of God. And you might remember the story that he's born miraculously by his mother, Hannah, prayer. She prayed to God. She couldn't have kids. And she prayed to God. And God gave her this child, Samuel. And Samuel was raised in the house of God because he was given back to God to serve him. And he becomes a prophet. He becomes a priest. And he begins to lead Israel in a wonderful way during this period that was continuing what we would call a theocracy in Israel. God ruling in his people or over his people through his appointed leaders that are given to them. But there was this point when some of the elders of Israel came to Samuel and they said, Samuel, we've been looking at all these other nations and everybody else has a king. We want a king like everybody else does. We want to look like all these other nations. And it grieved the heart of Samuel because he realized that if they had a king, a human king, it was going to displace God as king. And so Samuel goes to God and begins to cry out about this. And God says, don't worry about it, Samuel. They're not rejecting you. They're rejecting me that I should rule and reign over them. Go ahead and give them a king. Give them what they're asking for. But you tell them what's going to happen when they get a king. And so God, through Samuel, appoints a king. And the first king of Israel, does anyone know his name? A man by the name name of Saul, exactly. And Saul starts out as a, as a great guy. He's humble. He's from the tribe of Benjamin. A lot of good things he begins to do when he starts out. But over a period of time, Saul becomes proud and arrogant and begins to disobey God. And by the time you get to the end of Saul's life, it's pitiful. He's just a, he's just a, he's a mess, okay? And so God even said to Saul, I'm not gonna, you're not my guy anymore, okay? I'm not going to bless you anymore. You've gone so far away from me. But I'm going to raise up a man after my own heart, and he's going to be the king of Israel, the next king. Does anyone remember his name? His name was David, okay? And David comes on the scene. Eventually, he becomes the king of Israel. And David, during his reign in Israel, he he does incredible things. He extends the borders of Israel to places like it had never known before. He unites the 12 tribes, and they're finally united. He begins to bring prosperity to the land in incredible ways. And he actually uh, has this heart for God, so much so that he writes all these psalms and hymns. In fact, our Bible contains 150 psalms, many of them that were written by David himself because he was a sweet singer of Israel. He was the man that loved to worship God. He was a man that loved the presence of God. He was the one that conquered Jerusalem and established it as the capital, a place of worship for Israel. And so David does all these great things. He brings the ark back to Jerusalem. He is an incredible leader. And so there's one word I want to give you that will summarize the leadership of David over Israel. Are you ready for the one word? The one word is this. He was absolutely amazing. David dies. And when David dies, before he dies, God speaks to David and said, I I want you to appoint one of your sons now to become the next king of Israel. And the man that you're going to appoint, the son that you're going to appoint, Solomon, exactly. And so Solomon is appointed as the next king of Israel. Now think with me for a moment. This is so important to where I'm going to go in just a bit. 
you're Solomon, David is your dad, David is, what was the one word I gave you? He's amazing, okay? He's got really big shoes, okay? He's an awesome guy, he's done incredible things, and you're Solomon, and you got to follow him. Now, if you're like me, I don't want to follow a great leader, I want to follow a lousy leader, how about you, okay? Because there's a greater chance I can look better if I follow a lousy leader, right, okay? Let me follow Saul, because I can at least look better than Saul. Saul was a mess, okay? Maybe I can be a little better than him. But now now Solomon has the responsibility of following this amazing leader, his dad, big shoes to fill. And so he's now, he's now experiencing all of the emotions that go along now with being appointed as the next king of Israel. Now, I want you to notice with me today the very first thing that Solomon did after he's appointed, at least the first thing that we find recorded in the Bible that Solomon did after he's appointed by David to become the king. Notice what happens here in 2 Chronicles chapter 1, verses 2 through 6. Listen to what happens. Then Solomon spoke to all Israel. So he's now king, all right? We're going to see one of the first things that he does. Then Solomon spoke to all Israel, to the commanders of thousands and commanders of hundreds, to the judges, to all the leaders of Israel, the heads of family. And Solomon and the whole assembly went to the high place at Gibeon, for God's tent of meeting was there, which Moses, the Lord's servant, had made in the wilderness. Now David had brought up the ark of God from Kiriath-Jerim to the place he had prepared for it, because he had pitched a tent for it in Jerusalem. But the bronze altar that Bezalel, son of Uri, the son of Hur, had made was in Gibeah in front of the tabernacle of the Lord. So Solomon, note this, Solomon and the assembly inquired of him, inquired of God there. Solomon went up to the bronze altar before the Lord in the tent of meeting and offered a thousand burnt offerings on it. The first thing that Solomon does after he's been appointed as the king of Israel to follow in David's footsteps, the amazing leader that he was, the very first thing that Solomon does, he goes to the place called Gibeon where the tent of meeting was. And what does he do? He goes to God and he does what? He worships there. He engages in worship. He goes to the place of worship. He meets with God in worship. He seeks and inquires of God at the place of worship. He gives generously to God at this place of worship. He brings a thousand burnt offerings. And note this, unbeknownst to Solomon, this moment in his life was going to set him up for the most most incredible experience he will ever have in his life. The experience is now described in verse number seven. That night... God appeared to Solomon. Stop there with me for a moment. What night? The night after Solomon did what? The night after Solomon had done what again, church? He had worshipped. That night after he had worshipped, that night God appeared to Solomon and said to him, Ask for whatever you want me to give you. Solomon answered God, you have shown great kindness to my father, David, and have made me king in his place. Now, Lord God, let your promise to my father, David, be confirmed for you have made me king over a people who are as numerous as the dust of the earth. Give me wisdom and knowledge that I may lead this people for who is able to govern this great people of yours. God said to Solomon, since this is your heart's desire and you've not asked for wealth, possessions or honor, nor for the death of your enemies. And since you have not asked for a long life, but for wisdom and knowledge to govern my 
my people over whom I've made you my king, made you king. Therefore, wisdom and knowledge will be given you, and I will also give you wealth, possessions, and honor such as no king who was before you ever had, and none after you will have. Then Solomon went to Jerusalem from the high place of Gibeon, from the, from before the tent of meeting, and he reigned over Jerusalem or over Israel. It's important to note something. Before Solomon receives wisdom, what does he do? He worships. Worship is the pathway to increased wisdom. And this is so extremely important for each one of us to understand. It is though God says to Solomon that night, Solomon, I've watched you today. You came before me. You inquired of me. You came to me with worship. You brought to me offerings. And now that I've seen what you've done, now I want to give back to you. What can I give to you? You've given to me. What can I give to you in return? See, folks, let me tell you something. You can never outgive God. Worship always leads to increased wisdom in your life. It's not as though. Here's your second point. Right worship involves... Alignment of your attitudes and actions with God. So if worship is key to wisdom, what is worship? Worship is aligning your attitudes and your actions with God. To say to increase in worship means that you increase your alignment in your attitudes and in your actions with God. Let's talk about the word alignment for a moment. What does the word alignment mean? The word alignment is to get in line with. So you and I need to align with God in two aspects. First of all, in our attitudes, and then second of all, in our actions. Let's talk about attitudes first, okay? You know that when it comes to worship, what God is interested in more than anything else, first and foremost, is your attitude. Because if your attitude, if your heart's not right, your worship is going to mean nothing. And when it comes to worship, there's one attitude that is the most important attitude in your life for genuine, real worship, the kind of worship that leads to wisdom and that brings blessing and increase to every other area of your life. And the one word, one word you need to remember today is the word humility. Would you say that word with me? This is the number one thing God is looking for in your life, humility. Because without humility, you will never worship. You can't worship you and worship God at the same time. Pride is worshiping you. Jesus told a story about this. He said there were two men that went to the temple one day to pray. And one was a Pharisee. He was a very religious guy. And the other one was a, was a horrible sinner. And these two guys go to pray, to talk to God. And the Pharisee comes into the temple and says, God, I thank you that I'm an awesome guy. I thank you that I'm not like this guy over here because I do all the right things. I, I tick off all the boxes. I do everything right, God. You're really blessed to have me, God. You're blessed that I'm in your kingdom. Now, and by the way, I'm actually ad-libbing what he said, but you can read about it in the scriptures. Okay? The other guy over here, he, do, he realizes his broken condition. He prays a very simple prayer. What is the prayer he prays? Lord, have mercy on me. I'm a sinner. And Jesus asked this probing question, which of the two went out justified before God? The man with self-righteousness or the guy over here in a humble attitude? Which one was it? The guy with the humble attitude. And so you and I need to learn one thing when it comes to worship. And the question in your life right now is how are you doing with humility?
Because humility is necessary to worship, and worship is necessary for wisdom. You'll never have wisdom without humility, because humility is what puts you in a position of being teachable. Humility brings teachability, and teachability brings wisdom in your life. You'll never learn anything if you know it all. Take a look at these verses with me. The first verse is found in Psalm chapter 51. The psalmist David again said, My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite or humble heart. You, God, will not despise. Isaiah 57, 15, For this is what the High and Holy One says, He who lives forever, whose name is holy, I live in a high and holy place, but also with the one who is contrite. This again, that's another word for humble and lowly in spirit to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. God says, when I find humility, I revive people. I pour in to people with the spirit of humility. Jesus said in Matthew 5, verse 3, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Doesn't say blessed are the rich in spirit. It says, blessed are the poor in spirit. The word that's used there in the original Greek language of the New Testament is a word that means abject poverty. Blessed is the person that realizes they don't have anything apart from God, that we need God above and beyond anything else. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And James the apostle says in James 4, verses 6 or 8, but he gives us more grace. That is why scripture says God opposes the proud but shows favor or gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. The key part of this passage I want to draw to your attention today is the Bible says that we can be proud or humble. And the Bible says that God resists or opposes the proud But he grants grace, increase, favor to the humble. Let's go to the next part of this. Let's talk about actions. Because worship does involve actions as well. I'm going to quickly share with you six actions. If you want to be, how many of you want to be a worshiper? A better worshiper, right? You do? Every place you study worship in the Bible, you will find these six things. Number one, you have to learn to be a praiser of God. You must learn something about praising who God is. To praise God means that you recognize His attributes, you recognize His nature, and then from your own free will, you choose to speak back to Him and sing back to Him and declare back to Him the greatness of who He is. This is what praise is. Praise says, God, I want to thank you that you're awesome and mighty. God, I thank you that there's no problem that is too big for you. God, I thank you that you're greater than anything I will ever face in my life. I thank you that you're a loving God that loves me in the midst of whatever I may be facing. And God, I come to praise and magnify and exalt and honor you because you alone are God. I worship and honor and bless your name. I praise you. And let me tell you, you'll never be a worshiper unless you learn to praise. You've got to be a praiser and you can't just praise. Listen, you can't just praise when you feel like praising. Praising real praise is to praise even when you don't feel like it. The Bible says of the psalmist David, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. Can I ask you, do you practice praise? The second word is thanks. You have to give thanksgiving to God. 
while praise recognizes the attributes of God, thanksgiving recognizes the gifts of God in your life. What has God given me? Praise, I'm recognizing His attributes. In thanksgiving, I'm recognizing His gifts. I'm stopping for a moment to say, let me look at what God has done for me. You've been so, so good to me, so, so kind to me. God, I want to take a moment and thank you for the blood of Jesus that covers my sin. Thank you for the gift of Calvary that gives me eternal and abundant life. Thank you, Jesus, for the roof that is over my head. Thank you, Jesus, for the clothes that are on my back. Thank you, Jesus, for the shoes that are on my feet. Thank you, Jesus, for the people you brought into my world. Lord, I just want to take a moment and not only praise you, but I want to thank you for every blessing you brought to me. When was the last time you stopped for just a few moments and not only praised God, but you thanked him for who he is and what he's done in your life? So you can't praise without thanking. You can't thank without speaking. Solomon got this. He said, if I don't worship, I'll never get wisdom. I'll never be the person I need to be. I'll never have the increase I need in my life without worship. The third thing that worship involves, worship involves prayer. Now, I'm not talking about just the prayer that when you're in trouble, God. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about the prayer that builds a relationship with God. Tell you something, folks. When you begin to hang around with your father, you let him begin to minister, you'll find that you're not as needy as you are around people now, okay? When you are all needy and you need somebody to love on you all the time, guess what? It's usually indication that you haven't spent much time with the father who has plenty of love to give you, okay? When you hang out with him, he meets the deepest needs of your life. And so it's prayer that builds relationship with your father, okay? And so are you ready for the next one? Do you remember when Solomon went to Gibeon to worship? What does the Bible say that he did? He brought a thousand burnt offerings to God, okay? Now, was he trying to buy God's favor? No. He realized something. He realized that the only way you can worship, truly worship, is by being a giver. There are a lot of people that want to worship God without the giving part. They want the getting part. And so they X out giving and they put getting, okay, right? But in the Bible, the, the giving always comes before the getting. Are you hearing me? Okay. And part of what God is looking for in your life as a worshiper is to freely give to him. Now, are you talking about your finances and material realm? Yes, absolutely, because that's part of the substance of your life. That's why God teaches us the principle of the tithe is that the first 10% of what God gives us, we're to bring back to him. Why? Because it's our gift of worship to him. It's our way of saying, thank you, God, for the blessing you brought to us. It's my way of saying, God, I want to help you get your work done in the world. I want to help your church be strong. I want to help your church get the message out that needs to go forth to the ends of the world, to the love and grace of Jesus. Jesus that has saved me. I want to be a part of that. And so I'm stepping in, not just with my words, but I'm going to put some real skin in the game. I'm stepping in with my giving as well. I'm going to be a giver as a part of this. And so you can't worship without giving. The next one on the screen, what is it? Serving. Okay. You can't worship without serving. Serving means that I, I have life and breath in my being for more than just surviving. I want to make a difference with my life. 
I want to take whatever gifts or capacity or strength that I have and I want to serve God and serve people. I'm going to find a way to go beyond living my own life for myself. And so all throughout the scripture, you'll see that we're called in our worship to serve. In fact, one of the major words for, for, for worship actually can also be translated the word serve as well. It's a very powerful concept in the last one that we'll see here. Read it together with me. What is it? Obeying. And by the way, this word really wraps up all of them that when God says, worship me, he's saying, I want you really just to obey me because real obedience is what worship is all about. As we wrap up today, right worship only happens when our hearts are made right with God, when our hearts are made right with God. Let me see if I can explain it this way. In just a moment, I'll read our last verse from Ezekiel 36. But let me explain it to you this way. To be a worshiper of God... We have to have God do something in us that helps us to become a worshiper because we can't do it ourselves because we are sinners by nature. Everybody is a sinner. Everybody that's born into the world is a sinner. And so I'm a sinner over here. So how am I going to get to a holy God and worship him because of the filth in my life? I'm a sinner. And so this is what God said. God said, you, all of us have sheep like sheep have gone astray. But God commended his love, showed his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ came and Christ died for us. And so Christ is the way I get to God. Okay. I don't come to God by myself because I'm a sinner. But in Jesus, I come into Jesus and Jesus does something for me and does something in me. He makes me a new creation. He washes me from my sins. And now because I'm in Jesus, I now can begin to be a worshiper of God. That's why Jesus is my testimony. Okay? Amen? Perhaps as you have been listening to today's broadcast, you felt a stirring in your heart. Something that reminded you that you need to get something right in your life with God. The first way to start in that journey with God is to open your heart to Jesus Christ, to make Him the Lord of your life, to turn over all your life to Him. And that begins with a very simple prayer. I want to lead you in that prayer right now, and it's a prayer that you can pray right where you are. Say these words, Jesus, I invite you into my life today to forgive me of all my sins. I need you. I want you. I want you to take charge of my life. Be my Lord and Savior in Jesus' name. Now, if you just prayed that prayer with me, I want to encourage you with a promise from God's Word that says, when we call on God's name, when we call on the name of His Son, Jesus, there is salvation that is brought to our lives. He changes us from the inside out. And the Bible says that if any person is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things pass away. Behold, all things become new. And that's what's happened to you today as you've opened your heart to Christ. Let me encourage you. You need to take the next step. The next step is to make sure that you get into a good Bible-believing church where you're studying God's Word. And make sure you get a copy of God's Word and begin to read it. Spend some time each day in prayer. You've been listening to the teaching ministry of Practical Living with Dale O'Shield, Senior Pastor of Church of the Redeemer in Maryland. If you would like more information, please visit our website at church-redeemer.org. May God bless you and make you a blessing. If you aren't following WAVA on Twitter yet, three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. 
The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.